0: We are going to have quite a bit of scripture that we're going to look at. And so I'm just going to try to take us through it and, and um, kind of build the plan, build the ideal. Because I'm going to be talking about the devil's game this morning. The devil's game. The Bible says in Genesis 3, the Bible says in Genesis 3, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from the tree, any tree in the garden? The ideal of being crafty is to be tricky, to be clever, to have the capacity for understanding, cunning, and sneaking. Now we've talked quite a bit about this verse. This is probably the longest I've ever preached on one verse. But there is a really a world that you have to unpack here. And I think it's important. Because the devil is playing a game. He's playing a game. And that game affects all of us. Inside the church and outside the church. So this morning, to give an example of it, I just wanted to show you this little clip. Now, none of us like to be fooled, and that video is just basically about assumptions that we make. We see something and we think we understand what it is, and then all of a sudden it just becomes something different. None of us like to be fooled. Matter of fact, there's a popular saying that says it's easier to fool people than convince them that they have been fooled. Let me repeat that. It's easier to fool people than to convince them they have been fooled because of our natural pride, because of our intelligence, we don't ever want to say we've been fooled. But the devil has fooled Eve in the garden and is still playing that very same game today. And he wants us to fall for his lies and will use anything he can to get us to follow him, movies, books, TV, education, work, anything that can corrupt you and lead you away from God. Now listen, I'm not here just bashing whatever you like to watch, whatever you like to listen to, whatever. I'm not, I'm not doing that. But I'm just telling you that there is an agenda. If you don't, if you don't believe that there is, is, is not an agenda in our entertainment, in our science, in our education, there, there is always an agenda. There is always an agenda. And I'll tell you this, politics, they always tell us, you know, we must separate church, and state. But that's not true because politics is very religious. Politics is very religious. It really is about their values and what is religion really about? It's about values. What you hold to, what you believe in. And so the devil will use anything to corrupt. And I'm going to give an example of this from this song called My Darling, written in 2009 by Eminem. And I don't listen to Eminem, but during my research, this fit perfectly. And so I wanted to share this with you. And just listen to these verses from his song. I sink my teeth in and fill them full of poison and make noise like a snake before I kill them. And the dark shall emerge from the fiery depth of hell and swallow the hollow who dwell in the shadows of all who are willing to sell their souls for this rap game. And it goes, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three. That ain't the hook. Now follow me. You can't kill a spirit, even if you tried. You sold your soul to me. Need I remind you? You remember that night you prayed to God. You give anything to get a record deal. Well, Dre signed you. This is why you it your whole. This is what you wanted your whole life, Marshall, right through. Look at that house. Look at these cars. I'm so nice. Oh, so nice. Oh, but you did not know fame has a price. You see, this song tells us about his pact with the devil that he made. And some people will say it this way. Oh, Eminem is just fighting the demons inside of him. But he sold his soul to get this deal. People throughout history have fallen for this deception, this idea that if I I just give in to the God of this world, he'll give me success. He'll give me fame. He'll give me fortune. And he's playing the same game Part of this song, I read a little verse. It says, in the shadows of all who are willing to sell their souls for this rap game. And it goes, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three. That ain't the hook. Now follow me. See, the Bible says in Revelation 13, 18, it says this. This calls for wisdom. Let the person who has insight calculate the number of beasts, of the beast. For it is the number of man. That number is six Six, six. And what did millions and millions of people sing as they heard this song 123123123 One, two, three. One, two, three. One, two, three. One plus two plus three equals six. And it's repeated three times in this song. That ain't the hook. Now follow me. You see, symbols and numbers are so important to the occult. We don't see it because we are not a part of the club. That's why it's called esoteric: the hidden meaning, the hidden secrets, things that are beyond our knowledge. We just think it's just some rap song. But here you have Eminem, and he's doing the goat horns, which is a symbol for the devil. And it's a different picture, not part of the song, but this is what he's done later on. But he says this little one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, and we think, oh, it's just innocent. But let me tell you something, it's not. Matter of fact, Manley P. Hall, who is a 33rd degree Scott Wright Freemason, he said this quote I'm going to quote for you. Now, Freemasonry is a secret society. Just the ideal of people being a part of a secret society no one likes. Matter of fact, JFK, before he died, said that there are secret societies, conspiracies that are trying to take over He was very aware of the dangers of secret societies. Freemasonry is a secret society. This society is very religious. Manly P. Hall says this about their viewpoint as Masons. He says this, and this is back in the 1920s, 1930s, when he was writing this stuff. The true Mason is not creed-bound. He realizes the divine illumination of his lodge that as a Mason, his religion must be universal. Christ, Buddha, Muhammad, the name means little, for he recognized only the light and not the bearer. He worships at every shrine, bows before every altar, whether in temple, mosque, or cathedral, mosque or cathedral, realizing that his true understanding, the oneness of all spiritual truth. Manly P. Hall says, listen, it doesn't matter, Christ, Muhammad, Buddha, it doesn't matter, it's all the same. It's about light. Who is this light? Who is this true bearer of the light? I'm going to show you another little clip here this morning. This gentleman is from the Shryers, Shriners. And you know, it's Shriners Hospital, and they do a lot of good work for kids. But this individual is one of the members of the Shriners Secret Society. Because, see, all masons are not shriners. But all shriners are masons. Matter of fact, this is from their international website, from Shriners International. While not all masons are shriners, all shriners are masons. Therefore, a man must become a master mason before he becomes a shriner. And this is what one of their leaders says
1: what is your problem just that sir okay i'm a christian sir i'm pure and virtuous and wholesome and innocent how can you say anything to buy it about me sir you need to be born again is i that, am born again is that now, did you just say that you're lucifer i am lucifer okay define lucifer for me pure virtuous wholesome innocent individual that's out to help people lucifer is yeah listen Luc- say that again lucifer is a pure holy Virtuous. Virtuous. Now, see the Lucifer that God created? That's the same one. Oh, man, this is great. I'm going to put this on the Internet. Oh, Amen. God bless you, Amen. brother. Because that's exactly what the Shriners and Masons teach, is that Lucifer, Lucifer is light. No. no. And you're, hey, what you're confirming those it. What about hospitals? You know, you know what, sir? <clears throat> Jesus said, Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did not, we did not do these good deeds in your name. And you'll say, Away from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. Jesus said it in Matthew chapter five. Mercy. No, that's hard to believe. So you're a Christian and you don't know that? Actually, no, I really am. You are because I'm pure and virtuous. You're pure and virtuous. Okay, yeah. Mm -hmm. In other words, you're perfect without Jesus, right? No, 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 no. Okay, tell me about Jesus. Who is Jesus? He's he's my leader. Is he the Son of God? Yes, he is. Is he the only worshipful Master? Yes. Have you ever been called worshipful master? No, because I, I've just been too busy. I've been working. Working. Been working to help people. What like kind you? of work? Okay, Get out of here. <clears throat> See, this is what a mason confesses is that Lucifer is light.
0: That's why symbolism is so important to the occult. Because it hides what they really believe it hides what they really say and and i'm not teaching on freemasonry but you know there's a lot of people that are part of freemasonry and most of them will get to the third level which you become a master mason and from there you can become a shriner and, and so forth but most people don't climb the ladder after being a master mason and the higher you go the more you'll discover who you truly are worshipping because see at first it doesn't matter Christian, Buddha, whatever, we'll bow down at any mosque, at any temple, at, at any cathedral, we'll bow down at any altar, it doesn't matter. But the higher you go, they begin to really discover who they really worship, and it is Satan, Lucifer. And this is the game that he, that he plays. He tries to hide who he really is. Matter of fact, Manly P. Hall, which was a Freemason as well, said that when the human race learns to read the language of symbolism, a great veil will fall from the eyes of man. He realized that, it was that that the meaning, the true meaning of what was going on in this world was hidden. And he said this back in the 20s and 30s of 1920, 1930s. 19, but this isn't new. Matter of fact, Confucius said this 400 years before Jesus was ever born. And this is what he said. Signs and symbols rule the world, not words or laws. Because there's something hidden, there's something you can't see. Just like none of us would have ever thought 1-2-3, 1-2-3, 1-2-3 would mean anything besides just a simple little way of filling in a rap lyric. But there's something beyond it. And that's why it says, this ain't the hook, now follow me. Who's he following? He's following the God of this world. Solomon was right when he wrote, there's nothing new under the sun. The devil is always trying to hide the meaning of things. He's always trying to hide what is truly going on. And this is why secret societies are secret for a reason. You see, God is very honest with what he says. He came and he says, this is my word. This is what I, this is who I am. You want to know me? This is, here you go. It's written. It's recorded. It's here. And then we had Jesus come, who is the living word, and begins to tell us and show us who Jesus, who God is. He, everything is there. The only mystery that we had in Christianity was this. Jesus would die for our sins. Because if that mystery was revealed, Satan would have never done it. That's what Corinthians tells us, that if Satan knew the gig, if he knew that Jesus' death was going to be the way we would find salvation and, and offer it to the world and to offer forgiveness, he never would have crucified him. He never would have set up the people to turn against him. But that's why Paul says now the mystery has been revealed. We don't live in a secret society. But the devil does. And he plays his games of deception in secrets and hidden things mysteries that's why jesus said in mark 13 watch out that no one deceives you you see jesus was telling this to his disciples who were asking about the end times the end times and i believe this that the end times are coming soon there's many different views on what's going to happen in the end times some believe that we'll be raptured and taken before the Great Tribulation. Some believe that the church will go through part of it and then be raptured in the middle of the Tribulation. Some believe that the church is going to go through the Tribulation completely and then the second coming of Christ. But here's what I believe. And I have no problem telling you what, what I believe because this is my beliefs based upon Scripture. Now, if, if you disagree with me, if you say, well, I don't believe that, that's fine. You can disagree. That's, that's okay i'll help you show you how you're wrong but no i'm joking but you know i you can disagree i have no problem with that but let's just talk about it how did you get there scripturally just like my views on the earth i believe it's a young earth why because i believe creation is taken literally and there's just no way all this time can be in the creation story and so that's my belief but how did i get there i got there through scripture and I walked through it. You know, I was talking to someone and they said, oh, I used to believe young earth, but now I believe in old earth. How did you get there? Not one scripture was given as a reference of how he got there. He just says it. So this is what I believe about what's going to happen. I believe this, that the church will be raptured and taken away before the great tribulation. I do. This is called the blessed hope. It doesn't mean that we're going to escape persecution in hard times. It doesn't mean that we're not going to go through those times that Jesus told us we're going to go through. Wars and rumors of war. There's going to be great famines and all this stuff. I understand that that's that's just life. And it's going to get worse as the time goes on. Why? Because the devil isn't going to let go that easy. He's going to fight for everything he can. But I do believe this, that God is going to rapture the church doesn't mean that we're going to escape persecution or hard times, but it does mean that we will not suffer the wrath of God. Look what Romans 5 tells us. Since we have now been justified by His blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through Him? The Bible tells us clearly we are saved from the wrath of God. For it is while we were God's enemies we were reconciled to Him through the death of His Son. How much more, being, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through His life? So the Bible clearly tells us we are saved from the wrath of God. Paul calls it the blessed hope. Titus 2 says, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Paul tells us we are waiting for the blessed hope. This is something to be excited for. I'm telling you, I'm I'm waiting for that trumpet. I'm waiting for the trumpet. I'm waiting, not for the Viking's horn that blows every time they score a touchdown four times times out of the year. I'm talking about a real trumpet. I'm talking when Jesus comes, the trumpet's going to sound and I'm going to be caught up in heaven. It's going to be awesome. That's why he says, wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of the great Savior. Even the book of Revelation tells us this is a blessing to know what will soon take place. Revelation 1 tells us the revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show the servants what must soon take place. And he made it known by sending his angel to the servant John, who testifies to everything he saw, that is, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 3. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written because the time is near. What did the angel say? Listen, John, I'm here on behalf of Jesus Christ. And he wants you to know that if you take to heart this message, if you read this, if you understand it, you will be blessed. Why would God send a message of tribulation and wrath and say we're going to be blessed? Because wrath is not a blessing. The blessed hope is not wrath. It is waiting for the glory, uh, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. There is a blessed hope that Christ is coming back for the church. But there is also the second coming of Jesus. And this is where a lot of people in Scripture start to blend things. Because there is what's called the second coming of Christ. It's different from the rapture. See, the rapture is something that happens for the church. And yes, I know that the word rapture is not in the church, neither is Trinity, neither is computers. But these words, are just, the ideas are described in the Bible. Rapture simply means a Latin word that means to be caught up, to be caught up. And that's why Paul tells us that we will be caught up with Christ. But there is a second coming, and people blend these things and say that the second coming and the rapture are the same thing. They're not, because the second coming is described completely different. Look at what Jesus said in Matthew 24. It says, Then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. Then all the peoples of earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven and the power of his great glory. This is not a happy event. This is not something where we're going to be high-fiving each other as we get caught up in heaven with the Lord. No, this is something where the Bible says that people will mourn when they see Him. Revelations 1-7 Look, He's coming in the clouds and every eye will see Him, even those who pierced Him. And all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of Him. This is describing the second coming of Jesus. It's not for us. It's for the lost. It's not for us because this time when Jesus comes, it will be a time of judgment. When you get called upon the things that you've done. Yet, for us as the body of Christ, we will rejoice when we are caught up with the Lord. When we, when we see Him at the event that I call the rapture. 1 Thessalonians 4 tells us this. For the Lord Himself will come down from heaven. And with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And after that, we who are still alive will be left, will be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with him forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. This is why I believe scripturally the easiest way to understand scripture when it comes to the end times is that we're being raptured. We're being caught up. We're being taken before the great tribulation. Like I said, we're not going to escape persecution. We're not going to escape trials and, and, and hard times. That's all part of the faith. That's all part of just life. But we will escape the wrath of God. So once Jesus raptures the church, then the tribulation will begin. And this is simply the pattern that Jesus told John in Revelation. John 1, Revelation 119. Write, therefore, what you have seen, what is now, and what will take place later. Well, what did John see? John saw this angel come down and explain to him what's going on. He wrote that down. It's called chapter 1. He says, write what is now, what is now. He deals with the church. He deals with the church in chapters 2 and 3. He's saying, listen, church, have ears. Have ears to hear what the Spirit of God is saying. Get your act together. This is serious. The end times are coming. You better understand this. Get your act together. He rebuked every church, not because he was was angry with them and he wanted to cast them out. No, because he wanted them to correct their ways so that they could reap the benefits of being the true church. Even the church gets it wrong. But Jesus came out of compassion and said, hey, speak to the churches. Give this letter to these churches and let them know what's going on. So write, therefore, what you have seen, chapter 1. Write what is now, chapters 2 and 3. And the reason why I say that is the now part is because what does Jesus say at the end of this? And what will take place later? Chapter 4. Because from chapter 4 and beyond, this is all future now. Now, some people like to mix this. Martin Luther was one of the famous ones that started mixing current history with Revelation. But I'm just taking Jesus simply at what he says in the text. What will take place later? Beyond. And that's why in Revelation 4 it says this. And look as there... After this, I looked, and there before me was the door standing open in heaven, and the voice I heard first speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. After what? After the church. Because the church is being raptured, has been raptured, and is no longer mentioned in the book of Revelation. Ecclesia, that word, church, is never mentioned again. Now, you'll, you'll mention saints, and we'll talk about them in a minute, but the church is never mentioned again. So after the rapture happens, the tribulation will take place just as Jesus said. Now some people, I had this one, one man just was arguing with me the whole time about, you know, no, we're going to go through the tribulation, you know, and we need to prepare. You know, we need to make sure we got enough AR-15s, we got enough canned goods and all this. And I said, hey, I'm coming to your house if it happens. <laughs> I said, you're prepared, I'm coming. But I simply said this, you know, whether or not Jesus raptures the church before or during the tribulation makes no big deal to me. Now, I believe it's the easiest way to get through scripture because that's the pattern that Jesus says, and it makes sense that we don't suffer the wrath of God. I said, but even if we do, I always follow the temptation of Christ, the story of the temptation of Christ. The Bible says that Jesus, being full of the Holy Spirit, was led into the wilderness. As long as we are full of the Holy Spirit, it doesn't matter what we face doesn't matter what we go through. But for me, I, stand, I, stand, I think it's the easiest way to read Scripture, and so that's why I believe the church will be raptured. Now the tribulation begins, and what happens is the seals are broken and judgment is happening upon the land and the people. A quarter of the people have died from this. Land has been destroyed. Then the 144,000 Jews will be preserved so that they can preach the message of Christ And then the great multitude of saints have come from, the Bible says, the great multitude of saints have come from the tribulation. This time where people who realized that Jesus was the answer and missed it will turn to God and say, God, please save me, help me. And because they did not get the mark of the beast, they were persecuted and executed for their beliefs. And this is where you have this great multitude. Then you have the trumpet sounds. Different trumpets than what we would hear. These trumpets are trumpets of judgment that bring death and destruction. And think about this. During the trumpet, another third of the people have been wiped out. So imagine if there's 8 billion people on earth and half of them are saved. Let's just say, so we got 4 billion people left here on earth after the rapture. After just these two plagues, after these, the seals and the trumpets, over half of those people have been killed by judgment from God. So now you have just 2 million people left on earth. You would think that if you witnessed the rapture, man, my neighbor's gone. I can't believe it. I can't believe that, that Pastor Pete was right. I can't believe it. I should have listened to my wife. I should have listened to my husband. I, I should have listened to my mom, my dad. And they're gone. What do you think would happen? Well, then all of a sudden, this hell on earth starts breaking out. And now half of the population that remained is gone. And you know what happened during this time? Revelation 9 tells us the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues still did not repent of the work of their hands. They did not stop worshiping demons, the idols of gold, silver, bronze, stone, and wood, idols that cannot see, hear, or walk. Nor did they repent of their murders, their magic arts, their sexual immoralities, or their thefts. People are wicked upon this earth. People are destructive. People cannot give up. And they hate God. If the church was going through the tribulation, this doesn't sound like a good picture for the church. Because see, we still have someone that's greater inside of us than in the world. It's called the Holy Spirit. And we would pray against these things. Just like I believe America is under assault. I believe the very foundation of who we are as a country is under assault. And it has been under assault since day one. But there's too many people praying. Yeah, they may get away with things and they may seem like they're, they're winning, but I'll tell you this, God is moving. Why? Because people are praying. The Holy Spirit is still moving in this world, in this nation. There's too many Christians still praying. Once you remove the Christians and the Holy Spirit withdraws us, and the God Jesus raptures us, the devil will have his way. This does not sound like the time of the church. So following the trumpets, the Antichrist and the false prophet will rise. And then comes the final seven plagues. This says in Revelation 15, I saw in heaven another great and marvelous sign. Seven angels with the seven last plagues. Last because with them God's wrath is complete. This is all about God's wrath. And what does the Bible remind us in Romans 5:9? How much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him through Jesus. We're saved from the wrath of God. We are saved from the wrath of God. Plague, sickness, the sea turns the blood, everything in it dies, people will be scorched by the sun, it will be painful, it will they will curse God, they will refuse to repent earthquakes will happen like never before and finally we will see the destruction of Babylon the great prostitute that corrupted the whole world everything is coming down and then Jesus comes back as the writer who is called faithful and true one of my favorite titles of Jesus faithful and true every time I worry every time I I wonder God how are you going to do it God where are you going to be God how are you going to do it God I need you God I need and every time I just remind it and I just see Jesus coming on that horse and on his thigh, flashing in neon, because that was popular back in the 80s. Faithful and true. That's who he is. Faithful and true. Faithful to who? To us. True to what? To his word. He is faithful and true. True. So Jesus comes back and he strikes down the nations and he sets up his kingdom for a thousand years. And this is what we call the millennial reign. It's found in Revelation 20. It says this, And I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the key of the abyss and holding it in, his, in his hand, a great chain. He seized the dragon and the ancient serpent is called the devil or Satan and bound him for a thousand years. He threw him in the abyss and locked and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations anymore until a thousand years were ended. And after that, he must be set free for a short time. I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony about Jesus and because of the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or his image and, and had not received the mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years. The rest of the dead will not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is what we would call the second coming. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with Him for a thousand years. The Bible clearly tells us that Jesus will come and will establish his government and will rule and reign upon this earth for a thousand years. We're going to pick up the rest of the story next week. This morning as I started off, I mentioned that the devil is playing a game. It's called deception. And he has deceived many a people throughout history. He has caused them to look at God completely different. And he plays games with words, with songs, with movies, with education. He plays games to deceive us. Why? Because he truly hates God. I want you to understand this, that your enemy truly hates God. And what does that mean for us? That he truly hates us because we were made in the image of god every time every time we see or the devil looks at us and he sees us he's reminded of who created us and whose image we are made in we are not made in some angel's image we are not made in some just dust with a whole bunch of molecules that we put together on our own over billions of years no we were made in the image of god he says let us make man in our own image in our own likeness and when the bible says that he created us he created us in his image in his likeness we reflect who god is and because of that satan hates you he hates you that's why jesus tells us that we have an enemy And he tells us to pray. Jesus, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. I'll teach you to pray. May your name be praised in heaven. May your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive me of my sins. Forgive those who sit against me. Lead me not into temptation and deliver me from my enemy, from the evil one. Why? Because he hates you. Now, I am not here trying to glorify or lift up Satan and to to say that he has more power than, than we think because he doesn't. He's not God. He's not a God. He is a fallen angel that has been kicked out and no longer has a place in heaven because of his choices and his pride. And what does he do? He simply deceives people into believing he has more power and more authority over their life. And he does it through fear and anxiety and worry and stress. He does it through lies and manipulation. He does it playing a game to deceive us. This is why we as Christians need to be aware of who we really are. We are children of God. I do not fear my enemy. There was a time when I was writing the book my book and and I just knew that, that God was making me write this book for some reason because there's, it was the it was the easiest thing I ever did. It was just like every page just flowed. Obviously I didn't get all the words right, but it flowed. And I just sat down and I started writing. And right towards the end of the book, I walked out of my bedroom. And I was going down the hall, and it literally felt, and I literally saw like these demonic things just standing there at the end of the hall. And I felt just this this evil thing that was there. And I knew that this was what God wanted me to do because of the opposition. Opposition because of what he was trying to do but i also knew that my house serves the lord get out in the name of jesus boom gone and the peace of god once again you see god needs to be god over every area of your life and he needs to be true in your life what do i mean by that Mean that we need to have an honest understanding of who he is. He's God, and we are made in his image. And because of Jesus, we are righteous, we are covered, we are pure, we are blameless, we are children of God. And because of that, we have authority in God. We have authority over this world and over the things that try to manipulate us. And he, the devil, will always try to build himself up as the most high, but he's nothing compared to our God. But he convinces a lot of people and he deceives a lot of people and sometimes as Christians we even fall for those things why is god punishing me why does god hate me why doesn't god move god where are you you see what he does is he tries to blind us from the truth and so this morning as we we're going to continue this, this message this morning you know tomorrow next week we're gonna, we're going to continue it and we're going to talk about the game that he plays and what we can do to overcome it. But I, today I just want you to know that he is playing a game. Don't fall for the deceptions. And if you want to know who he is, you've got to get in the scriptures and you've got to find out who he is. You want to know who you are, you get into the scriptures and you find out who you are. Just even this morning, as Lisa and I were talking, she was mentioning a Bible verse that she read in Joshua that not one of God's promises, that all of the good promises God has ever said has never failed. He'll never fail you. That's why I love scripture, because it reminds me of who he is and who I am. And it also reminds me of what has already been defeated, and that is our enemy. So he doesn't have authority over your life, and he can try to deceive you and try to manipulate you, try to make you fear. But I'm telling you, as people of God, you need to stand on the authority of Jesus, and you need to declare. You need to just stomp your foot That right. Man, my wife scares me when she prays. I'm upstairs. I said, oh, she's tearing down things right now man just put your foot down stand your ground stand on the word of God amen